Welcome, friends, people for peace, planetary citizens, pods of consciousness wherever you are today. Uh, this is Dick Dalton, your host for Glocal News in Social Artistry. Glocal, that sort of sounds like global and local all mixed together, and that's exactly what it is since we uh, are not alone in this little community of Columbia and uh, the world is right here. We're breathing the world. We're breathing the air that was in Arizona last week, and uh, it'll next week it'll be up in New York. <laughs> you know, just uh, one of the little things. Uh, welcome, we'll, and social artistry. Oh, Dennis, what are you laughing about? Uh, Dennis is the engineer this morning. Good morning, Dennis. Uh, social artistry. I, I call it building a more humane world from the inside out. Hallie Thompson, my guest today, is a candidate for Congress in the 4th District. Good morning. We met at Le Bourgeois mm -hmm. uh, for a meeting that Doug Ely had invited my wife and I to. At that meeting, it was a presentation about CAFOs. Mm -hmm which I knew a little about, but not nearly as much as I learned that night. And you were there uh, learning and also uh, meeting folks and spreading the word of your candidacy. Welcome. How would you like to introduce yourself to our audience this morning? Well, first I'll explain the jargon of the morning. So I'm a scientist, and so I am, I am the world's best at using jargon and not explaining it. So for anyone that doesn't know what a CAFO is, it's a concentrated animal feeding operation. And there are some really specific uh, legal definitions of that that we have in regulatory uh, in, in statute in the United States. Uh, but right now here in Missouri, uh, we're looking at a lot of CAFOs trying to come in many, many different counties in the rural area. Mm -hmm. And so this meeting was about just that, about mm -hmm. them coming in, what they are, what they can do to our environment around us. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm so happy I went because, you know, a lot of kindred spirits were there. Mm -hmm. uh, I was able to learn a little and to share a little, uh, being someone who thinks a lot about the environment around me. Uh, so as a brief introduction, I'm a plant biologist by training. I am a candidate for Congress in Missouri's fourth, and I'm also a PhD candidate. So two types of candidates at one time. Hopefully the latter will go away and maybe the former as well. <laughs> Let's see, go away, meaning... I will become no longer become... a candidate. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, of course, we're, you're here to win and you're here to succeed as a, a PhD candidate. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and you're from High Point area, mm -hmm. which, if I recall, there were a few, maybe small CAFOs in your area. Or at least there were hog um, mid, you know, yeah, they'd take the piglets and grow them up for a while and then ship them to the next place and so on yeah we had uh from what i remember at least and you know over time this has probably changed but mm -hmm. when i was a kid there uh probably around 10 or 12 i had my first experience with a pretty concentrated operation maybe mm -hmm. not technically legally a kfo but mm -hmm. it definitely felt like a kfo when i was in there it was a turkey barn Oh, yeah. And I remember I was involved in the loading and, and removal of the turkeys that had, like, matured and were being shipped off, and then the new turkeys that were being brought in to mm -hmm. be raised. For Cargill, probably. Definitely, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm, 
for one of one of the large companies, uh, whoever mm-hmm. owned them at the time. And you know, this process was totally foreign to me. It was very different from anything I'd ever experienced because I grew up on a cattle farm. Uh-huh. And we had a pretty spread out operation, most mostly grass fed, supplemented with with some grain when the grass wasn't growing because of mm-hmm. of drought or you know, just wasn't growing well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this this turkey barn was something totally different for me. It was fairly dark and uh, smelled much worse than the than the fields around mm-hmm. our house did. Um, and mm-hmm. at the time, I didn't I didn't think a lot about it. I mm-hmm. didn't really reflect on you know what this situation really was. Mm-hmm. Um, and what it meant for the farmer, for for my friend's dad, right. and what it meant for you know the turkeys mm-hmm. as well. Uh, but we definitely had a few of those around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, mostly cattle though, in, in High Point. Oh, okay. Yeah, definitely more cattle than people. <laughs> okay, so a lot of methane. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I hear that it's the cow's belch that has the most methane. I used to think it was uh, the cow pies that did that and the bacteria that worked on them, but no, it's the belch from the bacteria that it's in the gut. There you go, Miss Scientist. I hadn't known that. (laughs) Very good. Well, we can all learn something, even those of us that think we know the most. (laughs) Oh, well, uh, as a fellow PhD, uh, well, I I did get through mine, uh, but you know how much you don't know when you get into those kinds of studies so yeah my favorite one of my favorite quotes is uh, socrates quote uh, it's actually all i know is that i know nothing uh-huh. and i mean that's just knowledge forever i mean that's something that we can all live for is is to know that you know mm-hmm. nothing and to just be learning all the time mm-hmm. and and to realize that 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 is what it is to live in many ways uh to make a mistake to move on for mm-hmm. better, mm-hmm. Uh, to have a hard conversation and to not see it as something that was, you know, a negative experience I never want to have again, but as something that I learned from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that's something that campaigning and, and conversations uh, past, you know, my experience in the Turkey Barn at High Point have mm-hmm. really taught me is to try to take away something from everything I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine that, that conversations are very challenging because, uh, yeah, for instance, I, I listen, as many people do, to the congressional hearings that go on. And, and one of the most prominent lines that I hear is, yes or no, just give me a yes or no. And, and the person they're asking knows that, that there's so many layers and pieces and it's not just a simple yes or no answer. And, and I imagine that you run in, into many folks that, that will have a, a single button issue and, and yes or no, what's your stance on that? We just listened to a program here on KOPN today uh, for uh, uh, classical ideas uh, with Greg and his guest was talking about the death penalty. Yeah. And so, uh, well, we're in Missouri. I, I think we still uh, allow the death penalty if, I think Jeff Stack still has things mm-hmm. to uh, accomplish here with uh, the many others that uh, work with him. So uh, do you get asked the hard questions all the time, or is it uh, mostly just, uh, hey, Hallie's here? Like, you know. Well, so a couple of things about that. Yeah. Uh, so again, going back to me being a scientist, something I think is really interesting about this is nuance is a big challenge. 
because we love the details. I mean, we have to love the details, observe the details, and care about them as scientists, as policymakers, as anyone that wants to know enough about an issue to go the right direction in the end. Mm -hmm. uh, but that also makes it really hard to communicate. And so if you get a question on anything that you've done that level of research on or mm -hmm. you care that much about, it's really hard to distill it down mm -hmm. to something that someone, one, can, can understand, internalize, and move on feeling like you've communicated with them. Mm -hmm. But also, two, uh, in politics, there's this extra layer where you're asking for someone's vote. You're asking for their support. And so mm -hmm. there is a gravity to every question. And what I mean by that is not literal gravity, but basically when they say something like asking about whether it be guns, whether it be big agriculture, whether it be, you know, any of these more hot button issues we have mm -hmm. or their favorite issue that they want a specific answer on, right. you know a little bit about what they're expecting and mm -hmm. that they do want something pretty straightforward and simple and that you support that. And it could be easy to say, yes, I will support that. Mm -hmm. um, whenever maybe it isn't quite that simple. And so staying away from that, but also finding out a way to both communicate support and listening while at the same time giving a little nuance to the issue is my biggest challenge, I think. Mm -hmm. um, also being an academic, trying to communicate simply, I think, uh, is something that as humans we all struggle with. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I've learned a lot in the past six months. Well, I think also uh, we've noticed that in our country there's sometimes a, even a prejudice against academics. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're an academic, huh? You think you know a lot. Well, I'm just a farmer. Oh, well, I was raised on a farm. <laughs> uh, or scientists. Uh, sometimes uh, this whole thing of uh, science and religion seems to be uh, a debate. Mm -hmm. um, I keep mentioning it on this show, but it's because it's uh, it's important to me. Um, my wife and I have read a, a book called Evolution 2.0 by an engineer, electrical engineer. Hmm. And it is t doing what scientists do. It's digging, digging deeper, a little deeper, a little deeper, deeper, deeper. And it shows how Darwin wasn't the uh, end-all and be-all of science and that uh, just saying uh, uh, God did it, poof, uh, it, it doesn't seem to satisfy some of the uh, biblical admonitions to uh, look at what creation is here and learn about me. Uh, so, you know, there's there's so much more that we can learn about uh, this in-between area and how things are much more um, complicated doesn't have to be the the word but mm -hmm. there's there's so many more things involved in any issue mm -hmm. is there an issue uh, that you'd like to start with today if you mm. were to uh, you're you're getting votes today from KOP and listeners all right uh, maybe so uh, to prove myself first. yeah you gotta you, you gotta tell us what why we need to vote for Hallie Thompson because you know next week there may be someone uh, maybe uh, Renee will be here and uh, well why should uh, we vote for Renee 
There you go. Well, I'll speak to the first one. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Hallie Thompson. Speak for Hallie Thompson. (laughs) There you are. Well, you know, I kind of want to go back to what we were talking about off the very first, uh, is talking a little bit about the environment around us, uh, how our decisions in agriculture play into that and sometimes don't account for that. Uh, I think that, you know, one of, well, I know that one of my areas of expertise is plant biology, mm-hmm. looking at how plants grow, how they interact with their environment, but also understanding uh, some of the methods for farming here in Missouri and elsewhere, mm-hmm. and how those two interact with the world around them. Mm-hmm. Uh, having the ability to not only understand that locally, but also understand it more globally is how we start to have the really hard conversations about how the externalities of agriculture affect the world irreversibly. What's an externality of Thank agriculture? Thank you. I wanted you to call me on that, actually. <laughs> I figured you could call me on some jargon here. Oh, good, here. good. I'll, so I'll call you. It's basically, uh, we think a lot in economics about money. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what is the cost of this? What is the input to this? Uh, but an externality is something that's a cost that's not a monetary cost. It's something that's happening outside of the system that we measure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in this case, it could be uh, runoff, uh, nitrogen runoff. Uh, it could be soil being pulled off the land uh, because of a hard rain. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be potentially compaction that uh, makes the land unworkable or unusable uh, for many, many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, because this is this is a really long-term thing as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way I'm trying to look at it is basically what that agricultural system will look like mm-hmm. in decades. Mm-hmm. And so my point being is whenever we make policy, when we make farm policy, the farm bill, we have to think about those externalities mm-hmm. as well as the economic realities. Uh, and where we're headed. For instance, didn't the Dust Bowl it occur because of an agricultural practice that had changed the soil, uh, the way the grasses and the different things held the, the soil, and they had to change the way they did things after the Dust Bowl. Have you studied that? I haven't studied it, and I can't speak as a complete expert oh, to okay. it. Oh, well, it's very fascinating. <laughs> it speaks exactly to what it you're is. you're working on. And they did a lot of deep tillage. Of course, mm-hmm. their tillage was not with a tractor, but but with you know some some sort of well, oh, yeah, with yeah. them or or with a horse. Dust Bowl. It was tractor. Yeah. Oh, they. Well, yes, that's true in the yeah. Dust Bowl. But leading up to that, they were they were also tilling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the amount of land that was tilled by that time, I think, reached a certain threshold. And that threshold being one that removed a lot of those prairie grasses, mm-hmm. removed a lot of those natural ecosystems, and basically made to where those environments were more at risk. Mm-hmm. So they were less resilient whenever uh, an outside force came in, like mm-hmm. a drought, like, like a big flood. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think to an extent, some of our farming practices to this day do that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we certainly encourage things like no-till and other practices uh, like cover crops uh, okay. that do bring us back to more resilience. Mm-hmm. Uh, but these are and these are not still. totally adapted. Uh, not everyone takes these practices up. And yeah, rotation is a good example of this mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my my area of study is actually roots. Okay. Um, and so one of the big things with this is having a diversity of roots in the soil profile uh, that are some are deep, some are shallow, mm-hmm. some are strong enough to grow through heavy clay soils, which you know mm-hmm. we have a lot in Missouri. Yeah. 
Uh, and so that's really important uh, to think about what's happening underground from. as well. Yeah. And you're familiar with root cause analysis? <laughs> yes. That's in a whole different area, but it it's, it's really the analogy is is very accurate you're mm -hmm. looking at roots mm -hmm. in a way that talks about causes mm -hmm. that uh, bring about all of these uh, effects sometimes unseen causes yeah. that we've never really looked at before yeah so, so i think that expertise though because vicki hartzler the the current woman who is the representative mm -hmm. for uh, missouri's fourth congressional district is on the ag committee uh, and talks a lot about agriculture and mm -hmm. with farmers and mm -hmm. to farmers and I think that because of the composition of this district and with the University of Missouri as, you know, a agriculture research powerhouse, mm -hmm. uh, there's definitely space to have a stronger leadership role, uh, whoever fills this seat eventually in the mm -hmm. 4th Congressional District. And mm -hmm. I would love to be that leader. Mm -hmm. uh, one more thing on the roots before we go to your leadership experience. Um, are you noticing or are your colleagues noticing or is your family noticing? Well, you're not on the farm anymore, but is Missouri getting drier? And as we're seeing temperature changes in a trending way? Yeah, so I don't do I don't do climate science per se, and mm -hmm. I haven't haven't done a lot of that observation uh, regarding the direction we're headed. But mm -hmm. I do know that we have seen in 2012 one of the worst droughts that we've had in my memory and my grandpa's memory. And he's still on the farm in High Point. Oh, he is. Okay. He is. I wondered. Mm -hmm. I think to my grandma's chagrin sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. Uh, but so he he noticed. You know, 2012 of course was maybe the top two most severe drought that he's ever seen. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then we've had heavy rainfalls uh, pretty frequently uh, here in Missouri. And what I mean by that is not just an inch or two, but sometimes five or six inches at a time with one of those heavy downpours. And that's not only hard on agriculture and hard on the crops we're growing and even, even the natural ecosystem, mm -hmm. but it's also hard on our infrastructure. It's hard on the roads and mm -hmm. the buildings. And so if those changes are in fact occurring, and I think we do need probably more years to really know if that's the case, mm -hmm. uh, but if those are occurring, we're going to see things degrading and making it harder, mm -hmm. harder to maintain things as mm -hmm. we have them. Mm -hmm. uh, but I do think that understanding that we can prevent some of those challenges by better, better practices mm -hmm. uh, is somewhere that we can already start to go. Or adapt, certainly, in a, a more effective way. Exactly. Uh, yeah, great. because our system, I mean, wasn't perfect before, but knowing that we could make it more resilient mm -hmm. in the future uh, and be prepared when things happen mm -hmm. uh, is something really powerful. We should be as smart as bacteria, the best adapters in the They're just the so world. fast at yeah. reproducing, right? That's oh, what it is. <laughs> well, do you know, I learned in this book, they uh, come up next to each other and they shop for mm -hmm. Uh, genetic material. I need a little bit of this for my. Uh, do you have? It, it's a, they're talking and they're giving each other some genetic material. I like that way of referring to it that they shop for gen genetic material. Yeah. I'm stealing that. That's a really great way of talking well, about it. Evidently, that is kind of yeah. What, yeah. What's going on? You know, I need a, a pump. I've, <laughs> I'm loaded down with some poison. I need a pump to get it out. Oh, well, we got a pump system over here. <laughs> it's just amazing. 
at the bacteria level. Mm-hmm. And it they're really all is. over and in us. So, uh, yeah. Well, they're helping us out. And they certainly are. <laughs> 99.9% of the time. Mm-hmm. So, Hallie Thompson, you're a, a leader. Uh, you've been doing leadership things for a number of years at Mizzou. Mm-hmm. Did you get into leadership before that? Are you the the oldest child? Are you you know where did this leadership thing come from? That's a funny way to frame it because uh, I am the oldest child, ah, but well, only of two. So well, you have to boss the other one around. You can ask my sister. <laughs> <laughs> I think I talked for her for a while. Huh? Uh, Huh? My parents didn't appreciate that very much uh, because she didn't talk a lot until she was four or five getting into kindergarten. Uh, but I really think that, you know, leadership for me started with being a mediator and with being someone that felt at the center of disagreements or at the center of uh, whenever a decision was being made, the responsibility to make sure the right decision was made. And what I mean by that more specifically is at High Point, I had just a few classmates, uh, went through kindergarten to eighth grade there Mm -hmm. and had anywhere from eight to 10 classmates during my time there. So one of the things with that is you don't choose your friends, you have your friends. Mm -hmm. Because it's not like we have four (laughs) or 500 classmates where you have groups. We all talk. We all have to get along if we're going to work together, if we're going to play sports, if we're going to, you know, do the spelling bee without, you know, getting getting angry with one another. Mm -hmm. And so we had this dynamic where, you know, people would have disagreements, of course, that's what happens. Mm -hmm. But I always felt uh, that I ended up somewhere in the middle being the person that was ensuring that we could come to a place of agreement, of collaboration, um, and come to a better decision in the end if there was something we disagreed on. Interesting. Uh, and mm-hmm. so I didn't really, you know, of course, with everything, right? You don't at the time notice yeah. that that's what you're doing, but you feel that that's your place and that that's mm-hmm. something uh, that you excel at, that you have the skills to do. And then mm-hmm. in 10 years later in reflection, you notice that, yeah, I was honing skills that have now been <laughs> useful at the University of Missouri right? Uh, and working with administration. And you started a, a, a group or two, and you've been a leader in several others. Uh, should I read them off of your bio, or you want to well, tell us? Uh, you can you can go for it. Oh, well, let's see. I don't know if I've got where it says, yeah, becoming a scientist, uh, so it's a service and advocacy. <laughs> Here we go. Director of Legislative Affairs for the National Association of Graduate Professional Students. Hmm. I didn't start that one. No, but you served as a director. I did. That. That's right. Uh, which one did you start? The Missouri Science and Technology Policy Fellows, which I am no longer oh, associated is. with mm-hmm. uh, as an active member. Uh, I am one of the co-founders, uh, along with a couple other colleagues, mm-hmm. uh, two graduate students as well, now both PhD candidates, and they are running with this idea. Mm -hmm. I can dig in a little bit more for for listeners. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Missouri Science Technology Policy Fellows, also also known as most fellows. Schmush? Most fellows, because it's like saying that we have more, basically, than most fellows. Most fellows. (laughs) Yeah, M-O-S-T. Gotcha. Uh, We're trying, you know, Missouri's a fun state name. You have to do fun things with it sometimes. Yes, we, (laughs) yes. Okay. Uh, so there, there's a fellowship like this that exists at the federal level that the American Academy for the Advancement of Sciences has. And basically what it does 
is it takes scientists that have received their degree or are working as professors or researchers and puts them in congressional offices mm -hmm. as uh, people that can work uh, on different topics that are assigned to them by their member of Congress, mm -hmm. by their boss. Right. Uh, and they can bring some of that scientific perspective and expertise to the table when the office is functioning. Uh, and this has been pretty successful, one, for getting scientists interested in policy and involved in the process, mm -hmm. uh, because this is something, it's kind of hard to get into it once you've been in the lab, once you've been uh, at a university. And so having that tool to transition then to policy is really important. Good. Mm -hmm. uh, but also, secondly, it's been really advantageous for uh, congressional members that have these fellows, uh, mm -hmm. because these fellows are often, you know, very different from the staff that they would ordinarily have. They're usually a few years older, sometimes more than that, um, and they come from extremely different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. uh, and they bring the scientific method and expertise to the table, which is something that when you're making policy, I think is extremely valuable. Mm -hmm. And so we started looking at this, and California had founded a state-level uh, version of this, mm -hmm. uh, curated to how they see issues in their state relating to science um, and their state legislature's composition, which of course every state is a little bit different. Yeah. And we said, hey, why can't we do this in Missouri? Uh, Missouri certainly needs scientific expertise too. Mm -hmm. Agriculture is really big here. Mm -hmm. uh, that's of course based a lot on science. We have uh, many different endeavors that could be informed by engineering, mm -hmm. different types of technology, and you know, one of the larger universe research universities is here in Columbia mm -hmm. and we're located here. Let's make this happen. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it was just an idea two years ago. And now we're fundraising and working to get fellows onboarded and have a couple of, mm -hmm. of people working as part-time staff. And hopefully you'll be seeing scientists in the Missouri General Assembly. We're not sure where they'll be located yet, mm -hmm. uh, but here in, here in the next yeah. year or so. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. And helping with research and figuring out, you know, with, with dicamba uh, happening uh, the past year or so, and, and legislators not knowing what dicamba is and how it relates to farmers, and if there's any policy action going on. Well, so dicamba <laughs> is a chemical that farmers uh, can spray. Uh, oh. It's an herbicide. Oh, okay. And there were a lot of issues in southern Missouri with... with Cambra. Cambria. is what, what Dicamba. D-I-C-A-M-B-A. Okay, thank you. Um, and... This was about, I think it was last season mm -hmm. that it really became a big issue in the Boot Hill mm -hmm. and northern Arkansas. And legislators were asking questions about it and mm -hmm. weren't really sure what was going on. And having someone who is a scientist who could uh, help to explain or dig up some of the literature on yeah. it and learn a little yeah. uh, would be really nice to have as a resource. You're running for Congress. You're uh, a PhD candidate. You have a husband, Thanks. Is that right? <laughs> I do. <laughs> He's also a scientist. He's a fisheries biologist. All right. So uh, I, I hope that he uh, understands this commitment that you're uh, making. How's it going? Well, he is currently in Illinois on project over there, oh. and I am campaigning full time. And so it is... It's a great time of year for this because mm -hmm. we're equally busy <laughs> and we can we can do our own things. And, uh, you know, we've been here before. Whenever I was director of legislative affairs, I traveled mm -hmm. a lot. I huh. was in D.C. many times per year. And so he gets what it's like to care so much about something, to want to serve uh, my community so much that mm -hmm. I do 
throw myself into it uh, and spend probably more time than than I should in some ways. Uh, but he understands that passion. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, I have a fantastic support system mm-hmm. and he understands, you know, when the house is dirty, <laughs> it's for, for good reason. Or whenever I forget to water our garden, which happens. Uh-huh. I study drought after all. I don't really know how to water plants. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, drought is more normal for you. <laughs> it is. That's just how plants look, isn't it? Uh, get out of here. <laughs> we always joke in, in my field that uh, yeah. if you want anyone to, to kill a plant for you, I'm... Yeah. I'm your girl. I've killed thousands, but for science. For science. Um, So when you say you went to Washington many times, why did did you go to Washington many times? So we organized fly-in days for uh, graduate students and professional students across the country. And so my role was to figure out policy priorities for the organization, Mm -hmm. uh, to write up... uh, papers like for leave behinds uh, for offices so basically saying uh, what our positions were on different things and suggestions based on grad professional experiences Mm -hmm. but the reason we went there physically is because one of the most powerful ways that we found to advocate for uh, things for our interest in higher education was to be in an office and tell a story that they'd never heard before Mm -hmm. and it was really easy to tell a story they hadn't heard before because there, as a portion of the population, there aren't that many graduate mm-hmm. and professional students. Mm-hmm. And our stories, because we're very busy, because we're tied to the lab, mm-hmm. uh, because we're working so many hours, uh, they're often not told in DC. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this was a big opportunity to, mm-hmm. to get people there and, and talking about uh, the challenges that are associated, but also the opportunities uh, that having that at level of education uh, mm-hmm. gives us uh, to contribute back to the community and how it's mm-hmm. so important that we invest as a nation mm-hmm. uh, in these type of endeavors. Mm-hmm. So we would, it varied depending on time of year, how many people would, would fly in and get mm-hmm. involved, uh, but there was also a training associated mm-hmm. where we talked about higher education policy, um, the funding of research, uh, and student visas mm-hmm. as well. So we had a pretty diverse platform. Yeah, so uh, policy is a big thing on your um, smorgasbord of uh, interests and uh, experience. Mm-hmm. And fundraising. Uh, I know there's there's controversy as to who funds some of Mizzou's uh, uh, research because all of this do, do do corporations run our country or do you know where who's got control and power and and what kind of freedoms do we have uh, that can be a complicated uh, issue for uh, not just you as a as a PhD candidate or a candidate for the fourth district but uh, as a a congressperson dealing with all of the lobby um, efforts. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, at every level, this is a complication. Uh, We know in our society that, I mean, of course, these discussions are happening everywhere, Mm -hmm. all around us, Mm and all these topics. Uh, Recently, I announced on Facebook uh, through a video that I'm supporting uh, public financing of elections uh, for for federal campaigns mm-hmm. and the idea with that is I've learned a lot through my experiences and I think have always supported uh, this financing of elections but one of the biggest things I've learned is that 
we put ourselves in a bad position when we say you're not a viable candidate because you can't raise money mm-hmm. because does raising money make you a good candidate necessarily that's a that's a value judgment that we have to ask that we have to actually figure out and mm-hmm. i think the answer to that is that raising money doesn't necessarily make you a better candidate make you a better representative that could serve in congress and mm-hmm. make good policy uh, but for some reason in our system and mm-hmm. in the election system we equate those two mm-hmm. um, and fundraising is very hard because you're talking with a lot of different interests and you're having to to say a specific thing mm-hmm. um, that then they'll invest in your campaign right. that they'll want to to be a part of it mm-hmm. and i want people to be a part of it because they want to be Uh, I don't want to have to ask them uh, to write me a check and get on board with the campaign. I Mm -hmm. want them to vote for me because they believe in in who I am and what I've done and and the Mm -hmm. effort that, you know, we've been giving to making a more just world. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's not just in campaigns, although right now that's my bias. It's it's what I'm I'm doing majorly. Mm -hmm. But I think this is true uh, when I talk with with scientists as well, is that it's they don't want to be beholden to where the money for their project is coming from. They want to be able to do the science that mm-hmm. they want to do. They want to be able to ask the, the questions that are on their mind. Right. Uh, and that's, I mean, we know some of those very random curiosity-driven questions get us to, to, to some really interesting places. Like, oh, yeah. Like the Internet, for example. <laughs> uh, yeah. And there's a lot of power in that and by having and giving so much uh, of the bandwidth to moneyed interests we're limiting ourselves mm-hmm. uh, and so I, I'm sort of belaboring your question here but I, I think it's a really important one uh, mm-hmm. that we not only address in campaigns and in politics but we also address the right way by not thinking we're addressing it moving on and then never going back and saying did we really solve this issue sure. because there are always going to be back doors and loopholes that that we forget about or mm-hmm. or incidentally ignore and so this has to be something that that maintains uh in our minds and in conversations mm-hmm. that we always have to be paying attention to mm-hmm. uh because we do want you know people's voices to be heard uh, even if they don't have enough money mm-hmm. so you have a lot of counties to cover 24 you, 24 counties uh have you you've gotten to all of them i have and uh, most of them have farming as part of their um, livelihood. I'm I'm pretty sure that all of them have at least one farm. <laughs> <laughs> sure, but it, you're in a, a more rural area because you go fourth district. You just miss Kansas City, and you don't get Jeff City, and you go south and it and, goes uh, down to lamar missouri the birthplace of harry s truman mm-hmm. uh goes over avoid springfield um so polk county and green county are not in the fourth mm-hmm. and then over to fort leonard wood so pretty mm-hmm. far east when you're on the southern part of the district and mm-hmm. then up and like you say it avoids jefferson city and comes back and catches boone county mm-hmm. and then out to mexico missouri mm-hmm. so yeah so how's your response been have you had good turnouts or do you show up at the county fairs, or what's your uh, what's your what's your style? Well, I knock a lot of doors. Oh, okay. I knock a lot of doors. I go into offices and and talk with people, uh, not necessarily knowing what their political proclivity is, mm-hmm. uh, but having conversations 
with people that are working the front desk mm -hmm. uh, in the county, in the square or in the county courthouse, mm -hmm. uh, talking with elected officials. Uh, one of the things when I travel to a new town is, is to make as many of those visits as I can, mm -hmm. uh, to let them know that I'm there, that I want to learn that I care about their community, not just, you know, Boone County, not just Cass or Johnson County, mm -hmm. uh, but Dade County, which is way down south in the district, mm. just next to uh, Springfield. Okay. And also next to Barton County. Mm -hmm. I want them to know not just that I, I want their vote, but that I also, and anyone that comes after me, has to learn from them and should be learning from them. So my style basically is to, to treat it as a two-way street. Uh, to find events that are going on, of course, is something mm -hmm. that is highly advantageous, but a lot of places don't have events at the right time, or the event is something where, like for 4th of July, for example, people are watching fireworks. Yeah. They don't want you handing out a bunch of campaign literature to them necessarily. Right. Uh, but to go there with the intent of meeting people more uh, serendipitously. Mm -hmm. Serendipity is one of my favorite things. All right. Uh, and just meeting people uh, where they are, I think, is something mm -hmm. that's very important in a campaign uh, that's trying to do it a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. All right. So, uh, you have? Uh, do you have any events coming up in the next uh, day or two, or week or two, or anything? Where would people find Hallie Thompson? Mm -hmm. Do you, Do you talk at different? Uh, you know clubs and i don't know well so the biggest thing coming up right now mm -hmm. offhand i have a few events i'm going to be going to mm -hmm. but i have a coffee hour uh tomorrow morning really early well not that early but 7 30 a.m at uh -huh. the grind north um that just opened over off range line oh um and i like that because i'm a north columbia gal myself okay and so now there's a coffee is this shop north up there. of 70 this is north of 70 okay. on range line okay uh and so from 7 30 to 9 i'm going to be sitting there and people can come by and meet me and ask me questions mm -hmm. or just come sit and hang out mm -hmm. uh learn a little bit more about each other uh and if no one comes i'll get some work done and if a lot of people come we'll have some fun yeah yeah so i try to do that every once in a while have community office hours just to chat with folks do you have a little poster on your car so they know you're there well i have a bumper sticker and i plan to i usually put up a little like halley sign like tent at the yeah. at the table um yeah. and Good. especially since it's going to be so early i plan to enjoy the missouri morning and sit outside <laughs> great great okay so we started talking about kfos mm -hmm. and then got into your growing up experience but uh you are talking to people in your 24 counties about CAFOs, I guess, or are you asking them what their situation is uh, relative to that? Uh, are, are they expressing issues that they want you to deal with? Um, what are people saying to you about things that you are, are interested in, but yet you don't know what they're interested in. Yeah. Uh, so one thing I try to do is to not frame the conversation too much when I first start. So this mm -hmm. is when I'm knocking doors or just going meeting random people. What, mm -hmm. what I try to do is say, what's the biggest issue 
that impacts you, mm-hmm. that could be affected by federal policy, or that you think could be affected by mm-hmm. federal policy. So keeping it open like that mm-hmm. um, is something that I've found extremely useful because mm-hmm. people will say, I mean, they'll say CAFOs that are the one that's coming in 10 miles from here, mm-hmm. and I maybe don't know about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll say something uh, about a story that they have whenever they had health care that didn't cover a specific office visit. Uh, and they had to go out and get a second job to mm-hmm. pay for that, you know, mm-hmm. and you, you can learn a lot from being a little bit more open uh, in your communication style mm-hmm. is what I've I've been mm-hmm. finding. Now, of course, Speak- I tell them I'm a plant biologist. <laughs> Speaking of health care, though, many of those counties have lost access to health care. Mm-hmm. Uh, their little community hospitals have either lost uh, standing because they didn't have the money to to keep up or uh, how are you thinking about health care in those areas even though you're not going to make decisions that might relate to their personal uh, health care or maybe you will mm-hmm. uh, I don't know well knowing that that's an issue and that a lot of those rural hospitals are closing because of solvency issues because right. of financial issues right some related to Medicaid expansion or mm-hmm. in Missouri, the lack thereof, lack thereof uh, mm-hmm. and some related to, you know, the structure of, of medical payment that we've had a long time and mm-hmm. insurance payments and basically just having a smaller population to draw upon yeah. as far as patients older. are concerned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, mm-hmm. it is a really big challenge for these hospitals. And when they do close, it's a it's a huge challenge for people that do have more acute conditions right. or conditions where they do have to go time and time again. Uh, mm-hmm. to the hospital for treatment and you know this is this is something that's more complicated than any one one person or one level of government mm-hmm. can really solve but mm-hmm. I think being sensitive to it mm-hmm. knowing what's happening and what the policy lovers that are that are making it worse mm-hmm. are uh, so Medicaid expansion uh, mm-hmm. being one of one of the large ones right now mm-hmm. but also realizing that it's not just about saying we'll do single payer or we'll do universal health care but it's also about saying when we do that we're also going to have to address this secondary thing or or equal thing uh, on the same time scale we have to make sure that folks in rural areas have access to these doctors in a way that they can get there in a timely Mm -hmm. manner Mm -hmm. Uh, what if you can't drive and you live alone and you need to go to Columbia or to Kansas City to go to the doctor, uh, well, you need to get a ride somehow. And so Mm -hmm. thinking about ways to set that up for specialists that may not be able to be in in places like Warsaw, Missouri, or or, you you name it, Uh, a lot of places may be hard to set up a specialty practice. Is Whiteman in your catchment area? It is. So Knobnoster is in the 4th Congressional District. So you have a whole military issue. in terms Fort of... Fort Leonard Wood is also in the oh, district. Oh, that's right. You mentioned Fort Leonard Wood. It yeah. is. It is. So uh, there's uh, a, a whole other layer of uh, funding and, and uh, all the things that go with that. Oh, yeah. Well, and as with any congressional district, there are so many complexities embedded mm-hmm. in this district uh, and so many different interests to mm-hmm. try to stand among and figure out how we advocate or find the best solution mm-hmm. for each and for everyone oh, yeah. and that's a challenge that that well, we huge. all have to <laughs> deal with yeah. yeah and i think uh for for military bases in particular talking about uh 
the funding that we're bringing here just because the bases are here versus the funding that they actually may need mm -hmm. uh, is a conversation, a tough conversation that we need to have. Right. Uh, yeah. uh, I talked about a really cool project I'm, because we're talking about agriculture. Uh -huh. At Fort Leonard Wood, uh, someone was telling me about an agriculture training project that they were wanting to do uh, for folks getting out of the military or that were about to get out of the military. And so the idea was that they have enough land that they would use some of it mm -hmm. to do basically uh, alternate training for soldiers that wanted to then go back and farm wow. uh, or would mm -hmm. maybe be getting grants to go back and farm at some point. Mm -hmm. And this proposal was, it struck me as something that was creatively solving some issues uh, that we have here in Missouri. So the intersection of having farmers that are aging, that mm -hmm. are continuing to get older and their kids and their grandkids aren't taking up the farm. I mean, that's happening in my own family. Mm -hmm. And then also having soldiers that come back or soldiers that have been trained uh, and want to get, get out of the military uh, that don't have a career path that's obvious, mm -hmm. uh, that maybe do have interest in farming because they're from rural Missouri or they're mm -hmm. from somewhere else. Uh, that made them interested in the first place. And so right. finding this this yes. connection is right. really interesting. Very. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah. I haven't heard of that before. Well, it hasn't been funded. Well, <laughs> it's there just you go. A, It's just an idea at this point. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure there are even tougher issues that you get to address. Uh, you're a female, and there are people that ask you about, uh, well, what do you think about... Uh, women having access to health care uh, needs that they have and that relates from basic needs all the way up to uh, needs for sometimes abortion yeah. so that's not a simple answer either is it well for me it's pretty simple uh, because I'm unabashedly pro-choice mm -hmm. and I was just digging through my t-shirts the other day and found a Planned Parenthood t-shirt from mm -hmm. six or seven years ago that mm -hmm. I wore whenever I stood in solidarity uh, with with folks at Planned Parenthood mm -hmm. uh, and I've I've been influenced by family in this uh, because we as a family would go stand uh, on Providence Road over by Planned Parenthood and mm -hmm. and counter protest with folks uh, the pro-life protesters there. Okay. But, you know, access to affordable contraception and to abortion services and to women's reproduction mm -hmm. and reproductive rights more generally mm -hmm. is something that we have to just have. So my family was, we were not protesting as pro-life protesters. Okay. We were protesting as pro-choice protesters. Oh, so I'm we were counter-protesting. Sorry were for counter the confusion. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah, so, but that's a really good question still because I'm, I'm from High Point, mm -hmm. and there are a lot of folks in that community that wouldn't agree with me on a lot of issues. Mm -hmm. And my family growing up, we didn't talk about Democrat versus Republican and whatever whenever I was very young, mm -hmm. and I didn't really know what I was. I knew what I believed. I knew I cared mm -hmm. about people mm -hmm. and community, mm -hmm. and I'm still that way. Mm -hmm. But I came into my own as believing, you know, in the power of government to make our lives better mm -hmm. because I saw ways that we could succeed. I had the tough conversations with people. And I think mm -hmm. that having a family that allows you to challenge yeah. some of the assumptions around you is, is really important in my family. Mm -hmm. I was lucky enough to have been provided that by them. Right. Uh, yeah. Not, 
I don't need to say a lot more except for yeah. thank you to, to my family for yeah. being so open about that and letting mm-hmm. me, you know, challenge mm-hmm. my assumptions. Open and active. Yeah. They were they were taking their stand too. Which I think is why I've been so involved in mm-hmm. service and why I've, mm-hmm. I've done, you know, Missouri Science Technology Policy Fellows, the mm-hmm. NAGPS, uh, and why I've done the International Society of Root Research uh, mm-hmm. Ambassadors Program is because for me, sky's the limit insofar as having an idea that can make the world better and going after it and trying to make it a reality. Mm-hmm. And I think it has a lot to do with you showing up and standing up. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking about that. Show up, stand up, speak out, mm-hmm. uh, see where it takes you. Even if you're uncomfortable. Even if you're uncomfortable or make somebody else a little uncomfortable. <laughs> well, our time has been invested well it has thank you hallie thompson been a pleasure um wish you well in your endeavors kopn 89.5 have a great week